I am glad to be back. I've kind of been on the whirlwind tour. Um, been out the country, in the country, a few different states, uh, you know, COVID in the house. I mean, I think we hit every wicket we could possibly hit, but um, good Lord's blessing, I'm back. Um, hey, I, I apologize, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open it somewhat somber uh, this morning, you know, I think uh, first and foremost, right, like the, uh, to send our love, even from Beaufort, South Carolina, to uh, the great state of Texas, um, I, I am not here to stand on a political platform. I will tell you, we will never comprehend that level of evil. Uh, it is not about the instrument or the tool. It is about evil, right? And, um, you know, for us as humanity is to remember that, you know, humanity was put on earth to coexist, um, not separate itself into different segments of silos based upon a theory of belief. And uh, so I think the most we can do is to open our hearts of love. Uh, but also, it, it is a remembrance that in the imperfect world we live in, the world can change in a second. Uh, and, and our best that we can do is be prepared for those moments of change. So, uh, you know, leading into that, um, it is also Memorial Day weekend, right? And uh, I mean, I have, you know, young men tattooed on my arm that were uh, taken way too early, right, according to my theory. Um, but not according to the good lords. And I always have to respect that. But, you know... Um, uh, this week I had a, a unique opportunity. I went back to Army boot camp. I am not from the Army, so let me straighten that one first, right? I, I am a Marine. Um, but I had a chance to go to Army boot camp up at Fort Jackson, and uh, I was a guest of the Commanding General as he had what was a challenge day, right? And uh, brought the base together in this challenge. And uh, I was like, absolutely, sir, I'll be there. And uh, started off um, with a brief, right? And uh, I mean, it took me back, zero five in the morning, it's pitch black, you know, I'm fired up, ready to go. Uh, took it off, man, a little six mile journey. Uh, had a few different little obstacles in the way, came back, grabbed some chow and water, and then we uh, did what's called Murph, right, which is a one-mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, one-mile run. Um, and this was the challenge for his unit. But I'll tell you what was uh, cool. Some of you may know the movie Lone Survivor. Um, well, the su remaining survivors were on site, uh, including Marcus Luttrell and Mario Reyes. And, um, you know, they, they were able to get up and, and give a speech. And, um, you know, this is what I'll say about Memorial Day is that every service member knew the risk. No one wanted that to be the end result, but they died with dignity, and they died with a brotherhood and sisterhood that knew the mission would continue. And uh, when you view a Marcus Luttrell, those of you that watched the movie Lone Survivor, you've seen kind of the, the gist of it, right? When you see an individual whose face is maimed and walks with a limp, right, and, and multiple years as a Navy SEAL, and uh, you see the, 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 the pilot from the other who is now the CEO of where I was at who takes off his prosthetic leg to put on his prosthetic running leg, and he's out there running eight miles, right? I say all that to say is that's the men and women um, that serve, right? And, and so Memorial Day is a remembrance, but it's also a continuance uh, because their legacy within the mission will continue forever with the next generation. I do not wear a uniform, but I see myself in that 18-year-old kid at boot camp, right? Like, my time is done. I thank him for his service now. It is no longer my time in service. Um, so while we do remember what it's about, we can remember with an optimism that the next generation uh, is still carrying the torch in, uh, in its legacy. So for us, that is why we are the great nation and the great United States of America is because of that. So uh, again, 
You know, I always seem to get Memorial Day weekend, I think, Daniel. Uh, I think you even had me come to Crossroads one time to speak on open Memorial Day. I'm trying to catch this theme here. What's going on, guys? Um, but what I'm here for today, right, is, uh, you know, last couple times I've been up here has kind of been in this world of performance metrics, right? Uh, it really has, right? Like kind of, kind of viewing it because I do believe that the Bible is the greatest tool to optimize your life. Right? And, and following Christ is the greatest optimization of your life. Some people won't like what I have to say about that, right? Because there's actually health and wellness in the Bible, right? And some people might want to leave that section out. I get it. Hey, it's my passion, but I'm going to dive into it. Um, today is completely away from that, right? Today is relational for me. Uh, I am a very high EQ person. I believe in people over product any day of the week. Uh, I get to see all the AI things in the world. I can tell you they never have the human factor part of them, right? And so I believe in people. I love people. I love, uh, I will sit on an airplane and meet a random, I can tell you some wild stories of some random people I made on air. I don't believe in silence. You know I mean, we got to conversate. What you got going on? Where you going? Tell me about yourself, man. What's up? Um, but I say all that, you know, it's a relational sermon today, right? And that relationship is with grace. Um, grace is one I believe I was taught incorrectly coming up in the church. Um, and, and it was one that I believe probably, I would say, impacted me because of the way I learned it in the church at a very young age, honestly, to lead to probably lead what I would say is not a Christian life, but a legal life. Right. Um, I was scared of the law. Right. Not thankful for grace. And I say scared of law is mindful of the law. Right. Um, because relationships. Right. No matter if it's with a person or a thing. Right. Physical or non-physical. The markers are often the same. Right. There's pretty much two buckets in a relationship. It's healthy or it's not. Right? There really ain't too many middle ground on a relationship where like, oh, it's okay. No, relationships aren't okay, right? They're either healthy or they're unhealthy. And, and that moves beyond people, right? It could be your relationship. Like, where, where's my daughter at? I always like calling her out. Where's, uh, it's her relationship with Diet Coke, right? Like, I'll be like, what? Like, can you give me a Diet Coke? You, we got water, right? What do you need Diet Coke for, right? Like, in her mind, she has this relationship that it's like, oh, I got to have a Diet Coke, right? And, and for others, I mean, it, trust me, I'm going to get a hypocrite on the stage. I mean, I got a can of Grizzly Wintergreen Long Cut back there in the back. That's been an ugly relationship for a long time. I would call it healthy, right? Because I'm really good with that relationship. But it might be a little unhealthy in some people's eyes, um, right? But, but we have to agree that there is healthy and there's unhealthy relationships, whether it's people or things, right? Or even concepts or theories or policies or or what I would say is doctrine, right? Like you, you can have a, a healthy relationship with certain parts of doctrine and you can have an unhealthy where like, ah, no, I'm not touching that, right? Not even going to speak about it, man. And, and I can tell you, like modernism and Christianity, like, whew, good Lord, right? Like, I mean, it's, it is tough. You are speaking on some things that we haven't spoke about in probably 30 or 40 years, right? And again, not standing on the platform up here about any of it, but I just view it and I'm like, man, you're put on the spot to answer that question. Like, oof, that's complicated, right? And, and relationships become this compounding of internal processing and external actions, right? Whether it's people or things. The relationship is internal, right? The thoughts, what comes, the heart, the soul, the mind, the drives, collection, and that leads to an external action, right? So if the relationship is unhealthy or abusive or whatever the case may be, you have anger, Right. Or, or something inside of you to the terms of anger that is leading to external outburst of anger. Right. Or if I am sad internally, it's going to lead to external, possibly tears or possibly mourning actions. Right. But the relationships, no matter physical or non-physical, are built upon the internal system. Right. The external is purely the action. Right. We don't we don't go from here into here. Right. We go from here out to here. Right. So the internal 
is where often we should say that we focus the relationship, right? And in a healthy relationship, we know some of those things that we need to focus on internally, right, are, are things like respect and love and boundaries, right? And on the other side of it, it, the unhealthy side of relationship is very easy, right? Like it's usually a lack of love or a lack of respect or there's no boundaries in play, right? And if some of you do not are unfamiliar with the term boundaries, like boundaries are the foundational set of relationships with physical or non-physical, right? Like that is probably the most complicated thing in a marriage is we figure each other's boundaries out over time, right? Where you're like, oops, shouldn't have said that. There's a boundary. I would realize where the wall happened, right? Oops, shouldn't have done that. There goes that wall coming back in again, right? But boundaries aren't designed to continually to shrink a box, right? Boundaries are designed to set, right? Where, where does someone feel loved? Where do they feel respected? To the same thing with an item, right? Do you have boundaries with something? Like how did we get to the term from alcohol to alcoholism, right? No boundaries. You have no boundaries with alcohol. Right? So it forms into alcoholism, right? And, and we could put that into any facet of our lives, right? Whether it's a, a bag of chips, right? Or, or if it was pornography, or if it was tobacco, right? Like mine, right? Like it's, there, there are things that you have to have boundaries, and without boundaries, you realize that it's going to be set up for an unhealthy pattern long term, right? And we, and we have to agree that. But when it comes to, you know, even the relationship, right, as we talk about relationship with grace and everything I just said, internal, right, or external, is to realize that an external, right, relationship with, with grace is going to be action. That's what we would call the law, right? Like, I follow the Ten Commandments, right? I have been forgiven, and now I am a great Christian, right? Um, and, and I've been talking to Daniel about this, but I, I saw a thing that Erwin McManus put that said that the Ten Commandments are the bare basics of the Christian life. That's the starting level, right? And that'll hit you. Like, oof, dang, I thought I'd been doing pretty good for almost 40 years, man. I've been trying to hit those things, you know? And it's like, man, like, if you think about that, right, that is the foundational set that God put in place, right, to say, hey, here's some 10 guidelines, right, some, some law. Follow these, right? So that's the external, right? Don't kill somebody, right? Don't, don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie, right? Those are external actions, but the relationship with grace or the relationship with the law has to be internal in heart change. That leads to behavioral change, right? Now, I do agree, behavioral change for some of us may need to start at the external, right? Because that's where we set a foundation of like, let me just say no. I may not agree, disagree, I'm indifferent to this scenario, but I'm gonna say no, because I know that that is the best thing I can do at this moment. From there, I, I can agree. That is a good start to a behavioral change, to start to a heart change, right? But behavioral changes just on the action aren't heart change, right? They, they are not, right? They are behavioral changes. Until you can say, we'll use murder, right? So murder, the action, is killing someone. Internal, the heart change is, I have, do not have that desire. There becomes the heart change, right? And, and that is time for some of us, it, depending on where we are in our lives, on certain what, what part of our lives we're in. That can be the, some of the most gripping, hardest times of our life to move from a behavioral change to a heart change, right? And unfortunately, we can kind of get by with the behavioral change because that's what we view, right? Like, oh, man, that's a good person. That is a really good person, right? Because you're viewing their actions, right? You, you can't view them inside. You can't. Right. So that that becomes you and God. Right. And, and that's where this term grace comes in. Right. Grace has often been taught a relationship with law. Right. Not necessarily an internal relationship. Right. An external action happens. I repent. God gives me grace. 
right? And if you think about it, man, the Bible is filled with the word grace. But what I want to start with is we kind of deep dive it is. You can write it on your paper, you can write it on your phone, you can keep it in your head. What I want you to think in your head, though, if I said, what is grace? What's grace? Right? I want you to think of it in your head, write it down, hold it tight. I'm going to dig through scriptures a little bit, right? But what I know about the Bible, man, is the Bible, I don't know if we could probably open a book of the Bible and not find grace, right? We could not find God's grace into it, right? If you look up the definition of grace, so again, you've got yours built. Let's start with it, right? It is this courteous goodwill, according to the Webster's Dictionary, right? A courteous goodwill, right? But then if we go to God, right, and we say, well, what is God's grace, right? And it is God's favor toward the unworthy, Right. You think about it. It is 100 percent God's favor towards something that is not worth. You think about it. Adam and Eve started the started the cycle. Right. On earth. Don't mess it up. We'll all be good. Next thing you know, popping apples in the in, in the garden, passing apples in the garden. Humanity falls. Right. So from that point in time, again, law do not. Right. God gave him law. Do not. Internally, there became a decision to be had, right? Eve took temptation, brought it inside, dealt with it through here, her external action. It's worth breaking the law, right? So God at that point in time, in my opinion, could have said, cool, man, y'all suffer for the rest of your lives. Good luck. I gave you a perfect place. I gave you the simplest set of laws. Don't eat from that tree. You broke it. What, what more should I give to you? Right. But that's not the God we serve. Right. That's not grace. Right. So, so God has found favor in the unworthy through grace. Right. But again, God's completion of grace is not for Eve to come back and say, you know, like she's at a meeting. God, I knew I shouldn't eat, drink from the apple. But I, drink, I ate the apple. I'm, I'm, I'm better, though. Right? No. Right? I, I don't get by with God. Because his, right, the, the verbal, rock out. He's looking inside. Right? And, and that, to me, is where grace can touch you a little bit on the deep side, right? Because grace, if you think about it, right, it's not just merely available to you as a believer as you become to know God, right? It is necessary for you to be a believer, Without grace, there are no believers. There is no Christian, there is no heaven, right? Unless, I mean, the closest one we can probably read in the Bible is besides Jesus is John the Baptist. He looked like he was rolling pretty strong, right? Minimal amount of errors, right? They even called him out for how good he was. But other than John the Baptist, we're done. We are done, right? So, so the big thing to picture with me as grace, right, is don't look at it as a part of Christianity. It's a part of God's love. No, it is God's love. That is God's love. His love is so strong of grace, right? And you know, I always like to pivot out of it. And, and even in those first ones, right, as we get ready to dig into the unworthy and the worthy, you think about the way God shows grace to us in our actions, but we will hold that tight to another human being. But we expect it of God. But you don't expect it of yourself, right? I, I mean, I, you know, I, I hate to see relationship turmoil, and I've had a couple of them, um, <laughs> right? Like marriage is, is tough, man. It's humans, right? But I hate to see the point of when you realize that grace has stopped in a relationship because you might as well go ahead and count it over. 
right? Because there is no longer do they see them worthy, right? They see them unworthy of their grace. Now, that does not by any means put me on a pedestal to say stuff like physical abuse and, and, and nasty scenarios that says, oh, I must just continue to forgive you so I can get hit again. No, absolutely not, right? Grace is, is a forgiveness, not a repeating concept, right? But when it comes to just the simple idea of giving grace to each other, right? We expect it from God. We'll lay down our head at night, repent, and, and just accept the flow. Give me grace. Our interaction with a human being, man, we got contingencies. Did you check box one through five before I give you this grace, right? But again, we said, right, that this is, a un, this is for the unworthy, Right. And if we think Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, for all, all. So even my thing of John the Baptist, I'm, I'm wrong. He sinned somewhere. Right. He, uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right. But the unworthy were loved. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right. So we were unworthy. Paul calls it out in Romans. We've all sinned. You think about it by the time Paul could write this. We probably had some pretty good stories coming up. Right, man. Did you hear about Jonah? You know. But God loved. He took us from an unworthy to a worthy status based upon his grace, right? And the beauty of grace, as we get ready to, to, to dive into the word a little bit more, right, is that internally, without grace, you will live a life of strife and emotional unhealthiness and mental unhealthiness and physical unhealthiness. And I can tell you why, because if you hold tight all the wrong you do, you were not designed with a big enough platform to carry it. You will snap in half, right? Internally, and if you almost think about it, it's pretty unfair, and I think, uh, who was it? Uh, Chris Durso, right, that he calls grace the greatest heist. It was God's greatest heist was to take it from us, right? Because his platform's big enough, right? So this concept of grace through repentance, through understanding I'm unworthy and I can move to a worthy and a love status, right, allows you to sleep. And it allows you to live. Because inside, right, what we all know it. I, I, well, let me say, that's unfair of me. Most of us probably know it. We've made a bad decision that we've buried right here, right, between the chest. And we think about it nonstop. We can't sleep with it. We can't eat with it, right? And now we've put in some good medical terms, anxiety, depressions, and all the other things, and they're real. They are factual real, right? But so much of it came from what we internally tried to carry here and here that we aren't designed to. And that's why God's perfect design of grace is relevant, right? Because your level of repentance is, God, I 100% know that was factual wrong. And I need forgiveness in my life. Right? I, I need that level of forgiveness. Now, what God does from you from there, right, and what he communicates to you to do, you may not like. And you may think it's unfair. Well, your decision was unfair. Right? But God's grace is that good. That he can take the worst mistake from the believer and wash him clean. Right? And this is challenging because it gets messy. Because when you read the story of X is on, you know, it, it, I apologize if it's insensitive, but I'll say it because I believe it's, it, it's fresh. 
If that young man in Texas who had walked in and killed all those innocent people had lived and then say he found grace from God, we would struggle. We would struggle. Right? Because your platform nor my platform can understand the level of grace required. Right? But sin is sin. God has made that clear. The consequences of sin are different. But sin is sin. So as we, as we get rolling in this morning, we're going to be in, in Jonah chapter 2, right? I, what I want to leave you with is everything that I just said, which I felt was pretty along the lines of, of the good word here, right? Uh, you know, some of it was some good old JC terminology. Um, does your definition of grace align with what we just covered, though? Right? Does your definition of grace align with God's? Are you finding grace to the unworthy? Are you giving grace to the unworthy? Are you loving, right? And this, to me, right, becomes where it's just messy, right, as a human being. But as we dive into Jonah this morning, um, you know, pretty straightforward. We're going to crank up through Jonah. We're going to look at three points. Look, I could have pulled any story of the Bible for grace, right? I am a topographical person. I believe in it. I believe that in the modern terms of Christianity, sometimes we just need to relate to some stories, but I believe there is 100% times to understand every facet and detail about that scripture, right? I teach, though, from the top for concepts and theory, man. That, that's what I teach from because a lot of us, that's what we can relate to. We start deep diving in. So when I, I could have pulled many stories for grace, right? I mean, Peter's a great one, right? I mean, my man said, Jesus who? And, and, and what happened, man? Jesus found P- Peter back on the, on, on the bank, right where he started. You think about it. God, Jesus poured all that time into Peter, right? All that time into Peter. Peter said, Jesus who? Going back to what I know. Went all the way back to square one. And Jesus went and found him in square one, right? To me, this is where, where grace comes in our lives, right? Because we're the Peters, right? We're the Jonas. We're not John the Baptists. Some of you might be. And I hope so. I'm just telling you real. Like, we struggle as people. And we run. God's grace. I'll go back to square one with you. We can do it again. Right? That's pretty deep. Pretty deep. But if you think about Jonah, right? Why well, I picked Jonah? Because Jonah didn't waste no time. Right? And I'm going to give a, a, a brief overview of chapter one. You know, he says... Go, God tells him, right, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. Verse, that was verse two. Now, mind you, you don't have to read this. I'm in Jonah one. Just recap him before we go to chapter two. That was verse two. Verse three, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. (laughs) There wasn't even a buffer verse. Jonah contemplated, should I leave today or should I go? Right? Jonah ran from the Lord. Right. Now, Jonah's on my level. I feel you, Jonah. Right. How many times God called you to do something, or put something out of your life and you said there wasn't no buffer. I'm out. Right. Jesus, who? And, and that's the thing, man. Remember, when you when, when when the law. But more when the heart is involved and you turn from God, we take the role of Peter. Jesus, who? Didn't know him. I'm out. Jonah ran away, right? So we sit in a framework. God is commanded, no buffer. Jonah said, negative, I'm gone, right? Jonah gets on a boat, 
right? And we, and we kind of know, for those of you who don't know, right, we know at this point Jonah's on a, with a crew on a boat. We pick it up here in chapter two. I'm reading out of NIV this morning. Feel free to read whatever, you know, hey, the, the good Lord's word has been written in a few different contexts. I guarantee the right words will hit you in the right place when they need to hit you right here. But it said, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, he said. So Jonah ran from God. And I'm going to put you on a little pause right here because I'm going to come back to this. God punished Jonah. I'll come back. I want you to answer that in your head, that God punished Jonah. Boat capsizes. He's in a storm. Why, God, did you add this in my life? Why did you do this to my life? He's swallowed by a fish. I'll come back to that one, right? But was he punished? So now he's in a fish. Oh, boy. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. That's God. That's grace. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. Jonah's saying, I'm dead. I'm done. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep and into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Verse 4, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remember you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And I want you to remember that, verse 9, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Right? Pretty powerful. Pretty powerful, man. Jonah had given it up. Jonah was done. Right? And in a fish, right? Beyond done physically, he's in a fish. Somewhat complicated to get out of that one. He was done emotionally. He was done spiritually. And he realized at the very bottom of it all, when it was all said and done, he said, I'm going to try it. I'm going to cry out. And God answered him. Again, there's no buffer verse. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. There's no buffer. God didn't weigh, what have you done? What did Jonah do? Do I have enough grace to give Jonah that grace? But I think as we start with it, right, and, and what we have to agree with, and again, understanding here I am talking internal versus external, and I'm talking what we've seen as grace. Point one, and this could rub some people the wrong way, and I hope it does. Grace is not the freedom to sin. Can disagree? In God's perfect design, do we ever believe that God designed this level of grace for you to go run amok in his name? If you did, rock on. But what I'm telling you is, you don't have heart change. You've got external change. You're good until rubber meets the road and it gets tough. You're good until the one temptation that you cannot beat over and over again comes at you and you give in. Right? Freedom to sin and believing that grace just wipes it clean. 
right? It's crazy to believe that was the perfect design. Crazy, right? A lot of people view grace like a white boy. I was going to come up here with a whiteboard and spray paint. I was like, no, this is a terrible idea, Jason. Don't do this. <laughs> Most of us believe in grace like a, a dry erase marker. You mark the whiteboard. You get your little fancy thing. You just wipe it clean, man. It's a brand new board. Do it again, right? I, I view sin and grace like a nail in wood or a screw in wood that you just rake it across. You can spray paint. And it'll look good. And it'll still serve its same purpose if my whole purpose was for it to be blue. But there's some scars. And there's some internal stuff there that we know what happened in that blemish right there. Right. That's the view of grace here. Right. Like even as Jonah is crying out, what is very interesting is at the at the start of chapter two to when he got vomited out, that time frame would be interesting. Right. Like, because I imagine God for sure had a little bit of sweat running from Jonah inside the fish over like how, how, how bad could Jonah cry out right now, right? Like, oh, Jonah, keep going, my man. No, but you know, what I say to that is, is right, is like, even in the moment of grace, right, we, we have to understand that it, it, it's not freedom to sin, right? It's not about the law. Grace is not about the law of the Ten Commandments. It really isn't. It is about the love and the worthiness of you and the love from God, Right? So if we take it, if we can move beyond the law to say that, hey, my relationship with grace, right, is not going to be this just did it again. And as I lay down tonight, Heavenly Father, I'm sorry I did that again. I just I just didn't mean it, God. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't. Right. But what I but I, what I know with grace. Right. And what becomes of this relationship is the fact that you can lay your head down at night and say, Heavenly Father, I did mess it up again. What I ask for, Lord, is for me to just stop it and change from the inside. Let me just start with saying no. All right. Let God work in you. Right. Because the, the uniqueness of grace and the uniqueness of conversion is that we don't get to see the linear steps to it. Right. Like we don't get to see the linear path of God's grace through us. Right. So. The, the, the point one of moving, right, from freedom to sin is kind of echoed here, and I'm going to read it out of uh, Romans, and I'm going to be in chapter five. If you want to switch over, you can, by all means. I'm going to kind of flip through it a little bit really fast right here. But in chapter five, right, we're talking Paul again right here, and I'm going to go to verse 20. And as I read verse 20, it says, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, Grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you stopped it right there, you would almost counter what I just said. But well, it's just saying like, hey, if sin's running amok, grace runs higher. Right. But I think you got to make sure that it's the beauty of the Bible. You got to make sure you turn the page sometimes. Right. And read the whole story. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the news. You read the, the, the headline. You're like, told you. Then you read the article and you're like, never mind. I didn't tell you that. <laughs> Romans chapter six. Right. I was just in chapter five, man. All I did was turn the page one time. And it says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Oof. Right. There's North American. You know what I mean? Christianity at its finest, man. Right. Hey, keep keep going. Just ask for forgiveness today. By no means. We are those who have died to sin, and how can we live it in it any longer? 
Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? All I did was turn the page, right? Paul laid it out. Absolutely. If sin runs muck, grace runs crazy. That is not the call to your life, is to keep sinning, to keep utilizing grace, right? You are turning it into an abusive relationship with grace, not a useful relationship with grace. Right into point two, right? As, as we have this use or abuse type relationship, grace saves us from punishment. It does not save you from consequences, right? And, and again, this one, like I asked you, did God punish Jonah? Right, so very inter- the line here between consequences and punishment can be tricky, right? But what I'll say is, you know, it's kind of like a kid, right? Like Jonah could say, God, you got me in the, uh, you, you're all knowing and you put me in a whale. And God could say, Jonah, I told you to go to Nineveh. This is based upon your actions. If you would have gone to Nineveh, you would have not been in that path of that storm. But your choice puts you in the eye of the storm, right? That is consequence based upon action. And just to clarify it, right, I want to make sure we read the definitions. Punishment is a punitive action done to make the offender repay the debt they have incurred. It is done for the benefit of the offended rather than for the offender. Consequences are the negative, natural chain of events that occur because of our poor choices and actions. These results are not done to someone, rather they are self-inflicted wounds resulting from personal choices, right? God's grace saves us from punishment. And you say, well, that's iffy. It does, because you have the chance to go to heaven and not straight to hell, right? That is God's grace, right? That is the, the punishment, is hell. It is not my life is rough today. That is not the punishment. You may have some bad consequences upon your actions. Been there, done that. I mean, plenty of T-shirts, right? And, and I would tell you the greatest thing of maturity in my life from a relationship with Christ and a relationship with myself and a relationship with my spouse and a relationship with other people is when I became responsible for that. To not blame God or blame someone else, but to realize what could I expect with the decision I made? Because I do not know the limits of the decision I made, right? And that's what we talk about. The effects or the consequences of sin can be different. Right? They can 100% be different. And you realize that the bigger kind of the, the, the item that may happen in this life, right, like murder, the consequence is awful, right? Whereas, you know, you take a candy bar, the consequence might be like it is still wrong, but it's probably not on the level of murder emotionally and mentally to those that are involved to include yourself, right? So the consequences can be different. But the important part here is we trail it from is to say, okay, I'm not free. This is not freedom to sin. This is freedom to have heart change, right? I'm not going to, I may face some tough days and some consequences in my life for things that I did years ago. It still may surface. I have to be okay with that. This is not punishment from God, right? God has given me the chance for eternal life. And what I realized though, is that my grace cannot be based on my external actions. Last point, grace is internal right? That shows itself externally. Grace is an internal. It is an internal peace between you and God, right? It is internal heart change. It is internal forgiveness. It is so that your heart doesn't just continue to amass itself because of the pressures you've put yourself because of the guilt that rides inside of you. If you've ever watched someone who is ridden with stress act, or the same human being who is stress-free act, 
It's two different actions. It's two different ways they handle life. It's two different ways they interact with people. It's two different ways that they, they love. It's two different ways they give. It's two different ways they just handle day-to-day life. Grace is internal, but it is absolutely a must for the believer, right? And the challenge for grace and the challenge in some of our lives can be, have I moved from an external action-only relationship with God to an internal heart-changing relationship with God? And I do not believe that for any of us, you're going to be that way and you're going to be that way. We're all going the same path. For each of us, there is a different story. Think about it, right? I always bring up Paul's conversion. He was on the road with other people. It doesn't speak of their conversion. It speaks of Paul's. It was Paul's time. It was his choice. The other ones don't know, but it doesn't say they were converted. Maybe it wasn't their time, but maybe there were some behavioral changes that took place. We don't know, right? But the, the, the point to this and, and the takeaway with this, right, is, and, and I'll go back into, you know, when we were in Jonah. I bet you I flipped my Bible. Oh, my goodness. No, nope, I sure didn't, right? We go back into Jonah, and it says, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And I will tell you, this is kind of my mantra with sin. And this is very superficial, very surface level. But it's just very real, right? Sin less, repent less, give thanks more. All right, you think about it. Time in the day is, is fact. You don't get any more, you don't get any less. You get the same amount of time as each human being in this world. right? What you do with that time is what you do with it. What I know is when you live the life of strife, when you live the life of sin, when you live the life of not having the internal conversion, right, to, to have behavioral change, what you have is a life spent in a lot of repentance and a life spent in a lot of conversations with God just to alleviate that stress. And in my heart, I would say that God's designed for all of our lives. We're for that platform to not be carrying much weight so that it can carry the other unbelievers' weight that will come at you with their weight because they don't know God yet, but they know you, right? And and in God's perfect design, we have to agree. He designed the Christian to carry a lot of initial weight from unbelievers because they're going to come out and lay it on you. They're going to tell you things emotionally and mentally that are awful. But what you are is the beginning of the platform. You're not the platform. You're the initial cup carrier, right? And all you're doing is helping them carry that so that they can keep their head above water until they find God. And then from there, God's grace enters in. But initially, it may be you. So for the believer, why is it important for the design? Why is it important for me to understand grace that it's not a legalistic viewpoint, that it's not about me obeying the law and the Ten Commandments? I mean, my goodness, you can train a kid to follow the Ten Commandments. If we believe that is its spiritual righteousness and God's perfect design, I can't believe that we believe it's the same God. The man who parted the Red Sea did not just want you to follow ten laws. The man who brought people back to life did not want you to just follow ten laws. He wants you to understand grace so that you can have that grace in the moment that your head you shouldn't. Because like I challenge you with, Christianity is all pretty. Messing with the unbeliever is all pretty until it ain't pretty. 
right? I used to tell Daniel, man, I spent my time, I used to, years ago, man, I used to love spending my time at the basketball courts when I was free. I mean, I used to love playing ball with everybody, man, and there were more F words than there were A words, right? Like, I mean, there were, I mean, it's just a wild crew, right? Like, they don't know what I, an example. That's it, man. I'm just a, an example that slightly carries the message, right? But if my mind ain't ready and my grace isn't ready, when that dude comes to tell me something that I don't want to hear, do you pull it back? I ain't got that grace. You're right, you don't. But God does, right? And, and, and again, it's insensitive in many ways, and I apologize for that. But we have to be prepared if we really want to look at change and we really want to look at Christianity and we really want to look at people becoming part of the body of Christ. It's a situation that just happened. People live through doing awful things like that and then they find restorative grace or restorative grace. You imagine. <sighs> Tough. I'm going to pray for us this morning. Get ready to take communion. Hey, the, the, the takeaway from me from this message to you, just understand your relationship with grace. And once you understand your relationship with the Almighty Father and that level of grace, you start working on your level of grace with other people. But one thing I always try to remember, man, whether it's a conflict in my marriage, whether it's a conflict at work, whether it's a conflict with somebody else, when I'm put on the spot, what does my level of grace show? That's tough. It is tough. But I'm going to pray for us. I think that... Uh, you know, when you circle on a map on any given moment, you're there for a reason. I believe that's God's design. And I, I will tell you, it's so small, and I'm going to leave you with this story before I pray and why it matters within grace. I was in the meat market the other day just buying, was that Friday? I don't know, Thursday or Friday. And I was just buying some, uh, some steaks. This dude walks in, and I was like, what's up, man? He's like, nothing. I'm like, cool. Comes right up. I'm like, you good? He's like, He's like, man, he's like, I can't find balance in my life. Again, no clue from Adam, right? He's like, we got a young baby at home. We can't find balance in our marriage. We can't find balance at work. We can't find balance here. We can't, and again, right? Like, hey, I'm just a cupbearer. I know you from nothing, right? And, uh, you know, so I'm listening to his story, right? And I said, look, where you're wrong is you're trying to find something that doesn't exist called balance, right? Like, balance is an earthly term that we use that, Someone give me the definition of balance, right? Within mental, physical, and emotional responses to our lives. I said, but man, you're loved. I said, just like you walk in this store, these people love you. I said, you speak to me, I love you. I said, I guarantee you speak to your spouse, they love you. You speak to your child, they love you. From up above, he loves you. I said, so remember, man, balance isn't real. Find love and move on. That's it, right? I'm a cupbearer, I'm out. I'm walking out the door. He comes out the door. He said, look, dude, I left my wallet here. I was actually here two hours ago, but I forgot my wallet. And if I would have never been right here and left my wallet, I would have never heard that. And I needed every second of that. And I told him the same thing I'll tell anybody. I am simply a catalyst of a large voice. And so are you. And so are you. And so are you. You are a cupbearer. That's it. We'll bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for letting us be the catalyst of your message, God. Thank you for giving us the grace that we do not deserve, Lord. Thank you for turning us from the unworthy to the worthy, bound to your love and your grace, and so we can be honorful to that message, Heavenly Father. Lord, what I pray for us is when we struggle in the moments, God, when, when we struggle to give grace, remember the grace we were given. When we struggle, God, just to, to find that moment of love, remember the love that we were given. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every single soul that sits in this room, God, to realize that we are all cupbearers of your truth, to realize that we are messengers of your word, to realize that when we circle ourselves on the map, never to take it for granted, we are there under your perfect design, Heavenly Father, just as we are here in this moment, God. I pray for the families in Texas, Heavenly Father, that your love will cover them in a blanket, God, because there is no blanket on this earth that can take away that pain. I pray for all the families and all the gold star families that are out there, Heavenly Father, all those that are impacted by the loss uh, uh, of the U.S. soldier or the U.S. Marine or the U.S. sailor or the FBI agent or the CIA agent or the police officer, God. What we know is, again, there is no human that can fill that void, God. I pray for this weekend that there is a blanket of your love around them, Heavenly Father. And what I pray for us as a church, Lord, is that we can be your cupbearers, God. We can carry your message where it's designed to be carried in its perfect fashion and it's perfect designed by you, God. And lastly, but not least, Lord, what I pray is whether there is someone in this room, Heavenly Father, or someone online that has not had the internal conversation of heart change, that you jump right inside that heart at this moment, Heavenly Father, to realize that you know no boundaries of when you come in. You know no left and right lateral limit of when you are available, Heavenly Father. Just as Jonah cried out, there was no hesitation, the Lord appeared. May we all here remember that, God, as we call out, you've already appeared. As we continue to worship this morning, Lord, may we lift up our voice, sing our praises to you with thankful in your honor, in your name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.